All right. Well, if you will open up your Bibles with me and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. And we're only going to cover eight verses today. Verses one to eight. And the title of today's Bible study is A Portrait of Forgiveness. So as we typically do, please stand for the public reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 45, verses one through eight. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and they are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Please be seated. Well, I think we can safely say that there are several well-known Bible stories on forgiveness. What comes to my mind might include the parable of the prodigal son, Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter seven, Paul's letter to Philemon uh, in, in the New Testament, but perhaps few are as renowned as the story of Joseph. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna take a closer look at Joseph's example of forgiveness. And there are five aspects to the example of Joseph's forgiveness that I'd like for us to cover in these first eight verses of chapter 45. And we're gonna jump right onto it. So the first thing we see is that forgiveness is painful. Forgiveness is painful. So if you still have your Bibles opened in chapter 45, verse one, it reads that then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. The verb control yourself or control himself, it has the meaning of restraining yourself from tears, restraining yourself from anger. One lexicon describes this word as to pluck up courage to hold back. And back in Genesis chapter 43, when Joseph first saw Benjamin, You recall that during that first encounter, it says that Joseph hurried out and he sought a place to weep. But then he washed his face and he came out 
And the, the text says, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. So in other words, when, when Joseph first saw Benjamin for the first time, he was overwhelmed with emotion. He excused himself. He wiped his face, cleaned himself up. He was able to compose himself, to control himself. And he continued with the feast, that luncheon, and he said, serve the food. But now here in the beginning of Genesis 45, he could not control himself. You remember that at the end of chapter 44, it was Judah who made this passionate plea for Benjamin on behalf for the welfare of their father. And he declared himself to be a substitute, to be surety for Benjamin. And so Joseph hears this plea, this monologue speech of persuasion, and Joseph breaks down. He cannot control himself. Not only that, but it says in the text, in verse 2, that he wept out loud. He wept out loud so that all the Egyptians heard it. And the, the, the clause here, he wept out loud, it's actually several words. It literally means he gave his voice in weeping. See, in the Hebrew, there is a common verb, one word, a verb, that literally means to cry or to cry out. And that verb is used in verse 1. But here in verse 2, when it says he wept out loud, it literally means he gave his voice. And this Hebrew verb is used in Numbers chapter 14, when the Israelites heard of the bad report of 10 of the spies. Moses writes that all the congregation raised a loud voice. In other words, they gave their voice. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 46, uh, the psalmist writes that the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, God uttered his voice. That is, he raised his voice, and the psalmist says, the earth melted. So this construct to raise your voice, it's, it's like a divine calling. It's used to describe of God 11 times in the Old Testament. So this is something that's emphasized by Moses when he writes that Joseph wept out loud. And this is the only time in all the Old Testament where the phrase, he gave his voice, is linked with the prepositional uh, phrase, in weeping. He gave his voice in weeping. This is such a loud wail that the text says that all the Egyptians, the household of Pharaoh, could hear it. I mean, imagine we're here in the fellowship hall. Probably if I were to yell at the top of my lungs, perhaps someone out in the foyer would probably hear. Probably not in the sanctuary, especially if there's something going on. But here in verse 2, Joseph weeps out loud. He gave his voice in weeping so that pretty much everyone could hear, even though they were asked to leave to allow for a private moment for Joseph and his brothers. So then the question is asked, why are Joseph's emotions 
so intense here? Well, I think Joseph was unable to control all the painful emotions that he had bottled up these last 22 years. And so Joseph releases all of this emotion with this deafening cry. Remember, Joseph, he had been oppressed. He had been in captivity uh, as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was incarcerated in prison. He had been isolated from his entire household and family. He'd been separated and estranged from his only brother and his father. And all of this is because of his brother's treachery. All of this came at such a high cost. You see, forgiveness is hard because it's costly. Forgiveness is basically you are absorbing the hurt, the pain, and the loss that's inflicted by another person, and you are relinquishing your right for just compensation. You're basically absorbing the pain, you're absorbing the cost. And so the first aspect of forgiveness that we see here is that forgiveness is painful. But forgiveness isn't just painful. We also see here the second aspect of forgiveness. Forgiveness is personal. Forgiveness is personal. Look back in verse one. After it says that Joseph, he couldn't control himself, he cries out to everyone, make everyone go out from me. Now, back in Genesis chapter 43, he again was overcome with emotion. But if Joseph was primarily ashamed to show his strong emotions in front of others, he probably would have done the same thing he did in chapter 43. He would have excused himself, washed himself up, waited for a while, composed himself, and then returned to the scene like he did two chapters ago. But he's not asking the people around him to leave, I think, just because he was ashamed to show his emotions. Joseph commands the Egyptians to leave his, his presence so that he and his brothers can have a confidential, intimate moment. And so we learn here that the utterance of genuine forgiveness, it has to be direct, but it should be private. Forgiveness is to seek and to protect the one that you are forgiving. You are not flaunting their shame and their guilt in front of others. And so to accomplish this, forgiveness, it, it has to be concealed. It must be private. Forgiveness is personal. Well, forgiveness, it's, it's painful, it's personal. And we see thirdly, forgiveness is selfless. Forgiveness is selfless. And look in verse three, notice what Joseph says. Verse three, Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? It's interesting here. You notice that Joseph isn't fixating on himself. He's not broadcasting the injustice that he has been inflicted because of what his brothers had done with him. Once Joseph reveals himself to his brothers that I am in fact Joseph, 
his next words that's recorded here is he inquires on the welfare of his father. So we see here that it's almost like the heart of Joseph and the heart of Judah are one and the same here. Remember in the previous chapter, when Judah was giving his plea, his focus was not on himself. His focus was not on even Benjamin, but what he was fixated on was the welfare of his father. He said to, to Joseph, if Benjamin doesn't return to my father, my father will die in, in, in agony. He will be undone. And so learning from Judah how Jacob was agonized to send Benjamin to, to Egypt, Joseph now focuses on the welfare of his father. And notice his brother's response. The brothers say here, they could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So imagine Joseph is saying, I am Joseph. He is now speaking using his voice for the first time to his brothers. Remember, through most of this time, he was speaking through an interpreter. So they were probably, he was probably speaking in Egyptian quietly, and the interpreter would be speaking to the brothers. Here now, Joseph is speaking. He's, he's using his own voice to his brothers, presumably in their Hebrew dialect. And so he's giving this revelation, and even though he might look different, the brothers have to identify, yes, this is Joseph's voice. And what, was, what were the brothers' response? They were shocked. <laughs> they were, in a sense, ambushed, devastated, traumatized, completely frozen. They couldn't, they couldn't answer a word. They couldn't speak. It's like they had seen a ghost. Joseph is alive in Egypt with absolute power standing in front of them. But not only does the, the text say that he could not answer, it also says that they were dismayed at his presence. The verb here, to be dismayed, it has a meaning to be horrified, to be out of one's senses, to feel panic. In fact, when Job spoke about God in Job chapter 23, Job says to God, I am terrified at God's presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. That verb that Job uses, I am terrified, it's the same word. Joseph's brothers, the English word dismayed is probably not strong enough. They, they were terrified. They were horrified. They were in panic. They were completely out of their senses. And yet, seeing that response, how does Joseph respond? Look what he says in verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Well, uh, the, the verb come near, it's in the imperative, so it's a command. Joseph is saying, you know, with a command to all the brothers, come near to me. But there's a Hebrew particle, na, that's added to this command. 
this Hebrew particle na, when it's attached to a command, it gives a sense of politeness. It's used frequently by people of inferior status speaking to someone of superior status or position. In fact, one dictionary describes the Hebrew particle na as what's called a particle of entreaty. In other words, you can translate this as Joseph saying, come near to me, I pray you. Come near to me, I beg of you. So you see Joseph's selflessness here? Joseph was not fixated on himself. He was absorbed with the welfare of his father. And here we see, instead of brandishing his position of power, which he rightly deserves, he esteems his brothers with kindness and humility. And so Joseph is saying to his brothers, don't panic, don't be horrified. Don't be dismayed. Come near to me. I beg you. And his brothers came near. Forgiveness is selfless. Well, there's a fourth aspect of forgiveness we see here. Forgiveness, it's painful. It's personal. It's selfless. Fourthly, forgiveness acknowledges sin. Forgiveness acknowledges sin. So his brothers came near and notice what Joseph says next. He says, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. So now his brothers presumably are physically much closer They can see, even though Joseph's physical appearance must have been different, they could now hear his voice that much more clearly in their own language. And Joseph discloses information that only Joseph would have known. No one else probably knew that his brothers had sold Joseph into slavery to Egypt. Probably not Benjamin, certainly not father, and anyone else in the household. And so if there was any doubt that the brothers had that this was Joseph in front of him, that doubt was wiped out when Joseph declared that he was sold to Egypt by his brothers. Only Joseph would have known his brother's sin. This is Joseph. Now notice here in this scene, that the brothers do not confess their sin. They are not the ones that introduce the the sin. It's not that what happens is that Joseph declares, I am Joseph, and the brothers fall down in desperation, asking for mercy and forgiveness through confession. There is no account that the brothers actually confess their sin. But where there is forgiveness, there must be acknowledgement of sin, even if there isn't a personal confession. For example, you remembered that Peter, 
right before Jesus was to be crucified and to be put to death, Peter denied Jesus three times. He was the one that says, you know, I'll bring out my sword, we will die for you. But where the rubber meets the road, Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And do you guys remember what happened in John chapter 21? In John chapter 21, this is at the end of the gospel of John. Jesus has, in a sense, uh, a final moment with Peter. Let me just read John chapter 21, verse 15. When they, that is Peter, John, and Jesus, they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord. Yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Again, in the gospel accounts, Peter is never recorded to actually personally confessing his sin to Jesus. My guess is that Peter was probably too ashamed. You remember a lot of the initial encounters, the women were, were, were elated, ecstatic to see the risen Christ. Most of the disciples, including Thomas, when Thomas you know, said, I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. But even Thomas was in awe and appreciation of seeing the living Christ in front of him. But Peter, there was too much guilt. There was too much shame. I, I imagine even during the breakfast, there must have been difficulty for him even to make eye contact to his Lord, who he denied three times. And even though it wasn't explicit, I think it was very clear. So clear that even, you know, John remembers this and can write it down for our edification. That three times the Lord Jesus Christ asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I don't think it's by accident, just as Peter the first time denied Christ, Peter gets a second chance to proclaim, to declare his love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only was he restored, but that's what propels Peter to be able to give sermons like he did at Pentecost, to be able to be a leader of the Jerusalem church, to be able to be used by God to write two epistles for us to read today in Holy Scripture. There doesn't necessarily need to be an actual confession 
But the sin needs to be identified and acknowledged for there to be forgiveness. So back uh, to Genesis chapter 45, um, you'll notice what Joseph says next. Joseph says in verse five, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. So Joseph here, again, he is so other-centric. He is so concerned about his brothers. He sees that they are in distress. He sees that there is the likelihood that they can become frustrated and angry. The word to be distressed, it also means to be grieved. It indicates a state of mental or emotional distress. This word connotes a serious inward agitation. It's the same verb that's used by, our, by God in Genesis chapter 6. Remember when, when God was getting ready to send a flood and he sees all the wickedness of the world. It says that in Genesis chapter 6, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. That verb grieved him in his heart is the same word here as distressed. And the verb here to be angry, it actually isn't just the word for angry. It's the verb to become hot in anger. It is to kindle your wrath. So there's, there's a Hebrew word for anger or to be angry. And then there's a verb to heat up or kindle the anger. That is the verb that is used here when, when Joseph is saying, do not be distressed, do not be angry. Back in Genesis chapter 39, when Potiphar heard the report from his wife about Joseph. It says that as soon as Potiphar heard the voice or the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. It was heated up. That verb is the same verb. Judah, in the previous chapter, when he said to Joseph, let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Anger burn. Same verb here. It's an intensification of anger. So Joseph is saying to his, his brothers, don't be distressed. Don't be grieved. Don't be agitated. And don't get angry in the sense of increasing the heat of your, 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 your indignation. The verb distressed and angry in this way is only used together. It's only just opposed together one other time in the Old Testament. And it's in Genesis chapter 34. When the brothers learned that their younger sister Dinah was sexually assaulted, it reads, the sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard it, and the men were distressed and very angry. Same two verbs, because Shechem had done such an outrageous thing. You see, the natural response, the human response, 
even the divine response to the revelation of heinous sin is distress and anger. Distress because of the heavy, heavy weight of the sin, uh, of the guilt that's incurred by the sin, and anger because of the gross injustice created by the sin. And so Joseph is saying to his brothers, don't be distressed. Don't get angry. I require of you nothing. Your sins I have pardoned. You are forgiven. So forgiveness is painful. It's personal. It's selfless. It acknowledges sin. And finally, forgiveness acknowledges God. Throughout the story of Joseph, we see that Joseph's mind was saturated with the thoughts of God. Think back with me. When speaking to Potiphar's wife, Joseph said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In chapter 40, to the chief baker and the cupbearer, Joseph said, don't dreams, interpretations of dreams belong to God? And when Joseph enters Pharaoh's courts, he tells Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, it is not in me, God, Ha Elohim, will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And now Joseph tells his brothers, verse eight, so it was not you who sent me, but God. Despite the malicious intent of his brothers, Joseph here acknowledges that all of this, all of what has happened, was orchestrated by the hand of God. God is sovereign, and he works all things for his divine purposes. Sovereignty plus purpose equals providence. When we say that God is provident, <clears throat> the providence of God, what we're referring to is acknowledging his sovereignty with a purpose. And, and Joseph tells his brothers, I've already recognized that there are at least two purposes to why God has done all this, that God has sent me here to Egypt. First, Joseph tells his brothers that God has sent me here to preserve life. Look back down in verse five. Don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine is in this land for two years. There's five more. There are yet five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. We had covered this earlier during the time of the ancient Near East. To have a severe famine, even for a few months, was already bad. To have a severe famine for one or two years would be devastating. A severe, unrelenting famine for seven years would be utterly catastrophic. 
all the people would have perished without some sort of intervention. And so Joseph recognizes here that God has sent me here for a purpose, in a sense, to bring salvation, uh, to save the lives of all the people of this nation. But not only that, second, God sends Joseph here for the purpose of preserving in his family a remnant. Look down in verse seven. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So what Joseph is saying is that I'm not just here to save the lives of the Egyptians. I am here, I am appointed by God to deliver our family from impending death and destruction. So although it was evil that brought Joseph to be a slave in Egypt, it was God who raised up Joseph to be a ruler in Egypt to preserve Jacob's family as a remnant. So you see here, because Joseph was so riveted by God, that's what prepares Joseph to be able to forgive. One person says, forgiveness is the most God-like act a person can do. You are never more like God than when you forgive. Do you remember Jesus' response when he was being crucified on the cross? Luke, I think, is the only gospel author that records in Luke chapter 23, when they came to the place that is called <clears throat> the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This is often called the parable of the two debtors. Let me just read the passage, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing between him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee answered, say it, teacher. 
A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, brothers and sisters, when you and I grasp the depths of God's forgiveness, you will love God and you will forgive others. So I leave you guys here today with two questions. First, have you experienced God's forgiveness? To, forgive, to receive God's forgiveness means that we have to repent and we have to believe in Jesus. The Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful, he is just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, second, who do you still need to forgive? Who do you still need to forgive? Jesus says that if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So like Joseph, like our Lord Jesus Christ, we must forgive. And forgiveness is hard, right? It's costly. But Jesus paid the price. The Apostle Paul wrote, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you help us grasp the depth of your forgiveness of our sins. Help us to, to realize the price that was paid when our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross to take the penalty of our sins. 
Father, help us to be like the woman, the sinner, who did not cease to kiss your feet, did not cease to anoint you and to love you, realizing that she had been forgiven much by you. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us follow the example of Joseph. Help us to fixate our eyes on you and the things in heaven, not the things of this world. And help us that because we are focused, riveted by you, that it will give us a heart of mercy and compassion to forgive as you have forgiven us. Father, thank you for giving us this new year, a new time for new beginnings. And I just pray that you will help us to just meditate on the precious gift of forgiveness, that this is so foreign from anything in this world that in a sense we are marked, we are more like you when we show forgiveness to those around us. Father, thank you again for being in our midst, and we pray that our lives might be changed by the hearing and receiving of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.